Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you again for joining me today. Today, we're going to continue in our treasures of the nativity, enjoying biblical gems of Jesus' birth study as we look at Lesson 7, Movement Toward the Time. Movement Toward the Time. We've been going through here and we've been preparing the way and seeing how God has prepared the way and the perfect timing for His Son to come. So today, as we see the final leg of movement toward the exact timing that God had chosen, we're looking at the actions of a few of the players or a few of the other people involved in the birth of our Lord. As we near the exact timing that is drawing closer and closer, today we're going to consider the movement toward God's timing as God ordains and directs these other people toward his ultimate plan being accomplished in the near future as we look at the last leg of the timer, so to speak, while it keeps ticking away, but closer than ever to the finish line. Mary's immediate move after she hears from the angel is the first of these we want to look at. We talked about this in the last episode. And the story is found in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56. And so we won't read all of that because we did discuss that and read that in the last episode. But let's look at Mary's actions immediately. Remember, she got the word from the angel Gabriel and she responded and she said, Let it be to me according to the rhema word of God. She submitted herself and became a willing vessel. And then we talked about how she made the immediate trip to visit Elizabeth. Let's look at that a little bit more as we begin today's lesson. Mary's actions we spoke of were very likely to confirm and affirm the word that she had just heard. She probably needed that confirmation and she needed wisdom and help in preparation and in understanding. So she went with haste to the hill country of Judea, to where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. She went very quickly. We don't have the specified town that's given, but in Joshua we do know it had to be one of only a select few cities. In Joshua chapter 21, verse 9 through 16, let's look at that so we understand why that is true. In Joshua, we see where Joshua divides up the land into all the tribes, territories, the amount and the allotment that they each tribe is given. And so in Joshua, we also see where Joshua is telling the Levites and the priests that don't have land allotted to them, where, what cities they are given to live in. And those are recorded for us in different chapters in Joshua. But Joshua 21, verse 9 through 16, gives us those that apply to Zacharias and Elizabeth because they lived in the hill country of Judea. So let's look at this in Joshua 21, beginning in verse 9. So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, 
one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. So in other words, here he's telling us these territories, these specific towns, are given for the priests to live in, to have their families and raise their families and their crops and their livestock in. Verse 11, continuing, And they gave them Kerjath Arba, Arba was the father of Anik, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it, but the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. Thus to the children of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Libna with its common land, Jatur with its common land, Eshtemoa with its common land, Halan with its common land, Debir with its common land, Ain with its common land, Judah with its common land, and Beth Shemesh with its common land. Nine cities from those two tribes. So we know that in the hill country of Judah, these were the nine cities. So it had to be one of these cities. This portion of Simeon was somewhat absorbed into the land of Judah and among Judah's portion as well, according to Joshua 15 and chapter 19 as well for more details. These were the cities specifically designated to be given to Aaron's sons, the priests from the tribe of Judah. The priests were from the Levite tribe, but this was the land of the tribe of Judah that could be given to them. So there were only nine cities listed that they could live in. So it had to be one of these nine. The primary one mentioned is Hebron in the hill country of Judah. And that one is specified as being in the hill country of Judah. So this very well could have been the hometown of Zacharias and of Elizabeth and then, of course, of John for the rest of Zacharias and Elizabeth's life. We don't know what happened to John after Zacharias and Elizabeth died. We do know that they were old. So we don't presume that they lived too much longer, but we're not sure. We do know that John was in the deserts until the time of his appearing and manifestation to Israel. So at some point in his life, between his birth and 30 years old or so, he was in the deserts, in the wilderness, probably with the Essenes. So Mary visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John. Mary ends up staying about three months. But according to scripture, it indicates to me that she leaves before John's birth, probably just before John's birth, because Elizabeth now would be a full nine months, but Mary is not mentioned anywhere as being part of John's birth or his naming or circumcision. As a matter of fact, these scriptures indicate that she leaves and then those things happen. But during the visit, when Mary was there, notice that John leaped in Elizabeth's womb. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the prophecy from God through Gabriel found in Luke chapter 1, verse 15 to Zacharias. Elizabeth confirms Mary as the mother of the Messiah. And as a matter of fact, Elizabeth calls him her Lord. How is it that the mother of my Lord has come to visit me, is what she said. Let me read a little of that in Luke chapter 1, verse 42 through 45. 
Then she, meaning Elizabeth, spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Mary's faith is commended here in verse 45. This was the confirmation and affirmation that Mary would need. Notice what Elizabeth says. There will be fulfillment of the things that the Lord spoke to her through Gabriel. There will be a fulfillment. She was given the faith and the affirmation that she needed here. And Mary received it because she then burst into song and rejoicing. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She realizes she also needed salvation. She needed the Savior that was coming, and she knew it. Mary calls God her Savior as well as Elizabeth has. Mary continues on, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. She was just a maidservant of the Lord, and she knows that she was very blessed. Then Mary has a second move to make. She has to go back home to Nazareth. She has a betrothed husband awaiting her there, and she doesn't know when he's going to want to come for her. So now she has to go back and visit with Joseph, and she has to tell him the news from Gabriel. Now you have to realize that now she has about been about three months pregnant. She is probably beginning to show in her little belly. It's probably telling some signs. And so after this visit with Elizabeth, Mary has to go back home and what we might say face the music, or in other words, face whatever is awaiting her there in terms of how people will receive this news. She has to fulfill her mission. Imagine having to go back and tell her betrothed husband that she was now three months pregnant, but it was a miracle. It wasn't from any form of unfaithfulness. So now we have the next person involved, Joseph, the betrothed husband. Let's look at his response and his part in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit, or in other words, originating from the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he was going to give her a writ of divorcement. He was overwhelmed by this news. He couldn't seem to believe it, which is certainly understandable in human understanding. It would be a very difficult thing to ever believe it. It never happened before and will never happen again, by the way. But he's, he decided, 
I love her. I want to do the best I can for her. I don't want to make her a public example. I don't want her to be stoned. I want to just put her away secretly. I'll just get her rid of divorce. I'll write it for her, and she can then live in peace. But while he thought about these things, verse 20 and beyond, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So here we see in the prior verses in Matthew, he's already listed for us the lineage of Jesus Christ, proving that this baby, this Messiah is the son of David the son of Abraham, and he comes on God's perfect timeline, perfect timing. Joseph is struggling at first and accuses Mary of unfaithfulness in the sense that he's going to give her the writ of divorcement and put her away. But God convinced Joseph of God's truth and of the fact that this was a miraculous work of God. So now the stage is all set and all people involved are in place and prepared. Now let's look at the third move today, the arduous trip that had to occur when Mary is full term in her pregnancy. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So now we see she's full term, nine months pregnant, and now they've got to make this arduous trip from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, approximately, I think, about 90 miles. God, the king of all the kings, the sovereign ruler of all kingdoms and all authorities, works through Caesar Augustus to issue a decree for a census to bring about taxation. This census occurred also while Quirinius was ruling in Syria. Very likely, this was the census that occurred prior to Quirinius's sole rulership as governor in Syria, but still within the time period of Quirinius's authority in that territory. And I go into some more of that in the Babylon to Bethlehem study, as well as some of this in the Hanukkah, Christmas, and the Light of the World series as well. But this probably occurred about 6 to 2 BC, somewhere in there. We're not told how quickly they had to return and be registered, but probably within a short period of time that was set by the authorities, a set time that the government would have stipulated. 
But because of the timing of the year that this would have been, there is another reason, in addition to the census, that Mary and Joseph would have had to come this way and would have found what Luke tells us as no room in the inn. We read that a little bit later. It's because there were lots of people flocking to that area because it was so near to Jerusalem. This census required all Jews to return to their city of origin for their tribal allotments, the place of their ancestry, and they had to be registered there. Both Joseph and Mary were from the ancestral line of King David of the tribe of Judah, and so they had to return to the city of David where he was born and, uh, and his upbringing and childhood occurred, Bethlehem Ephratah in Judea. God is brilliant. He is the wonder of a counselor. He is wonderful. He knows exactly how to fulfill his word, even when it makes us wonder how in the world it could ever happen. And this should be an encouragement for all the things that maybe God has spoken that have yet to occur, and we can't seem to figure all out how they will happen. Remember what God has already done. Notice this, God is brilliant. He had prophesied that the Messiah would be a Nazarene, the branch from Nazareth in Isaiah 11.1. 1. He had prophesied that Messiah would be called out of Egypt, Hosea 11.1. 1. God had promised also that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem Ephratah in Micah chapter 5.2. And you also can find reference in Ruth chapter 4 verse 10 through 12, where they were proclaiming about the birth of Ruth's child, and may God make this child famous in Bethlehem. And so we see how God will fulfill that through the Messiah as well, from Ruth chapter 4. God promised that the Messiah would be headquartered in his ministry as a light to the Gentiles in the Galilee area according to Isaiah 42, verse 6. How in the world could all of these be fulfilled? It was baffling. He had to be born in Bethlehem. He had to have ministry work in Galilee. He had to be called a Nazarene from the town of Nazareth. And he had to get be called out of Egypt. He had to get to Egypt and spend time there so that he could be then called out of Egypt. It was baffling, and it did stump many people, including the Jewish leaders and Herod at the Magi's visit, which I get into in more details in the Babylon to Bethlehem series. It baffled certain common people. For instance, later in Jesus' ministry, as he's choosing his disciples, he calls for Philip, and Philip goes and finds Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, we found him. We've found the one, the Messiah has come. And Nathaniel responds and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It may have even perplexed Mary and Joseph, especially when they had to flee to Egypt when Jesus was only a young child, a young boy. But the brilliant God enters the stage. The brilliant God, the wonder of a counselor, has Mary and Joseph, who are from Nazareth, have to make the trip down to Bethlehem at the time when Mary is due to have this baby. 
So the baby is then born in Bethlehem. And they are there in Bethlehem until these wise men come from Babylon area, Persia, when Jesus is just a toddler. And now they get the word from God that they have to flee to Egypt. And then now they get the word later from God that they can return from Egypt. And so they go back to their hometown, the town of Nazareth. The census brings them to Bethlehem at just the right time. And then everything else begins to transpire. Two years later, approximately, the Magi come from the Persian area. Herod decides to kill all the babies. They have to flee to Egypt until Herod's death. And then they return to Nazareth, which becomes Jesus' childhood home. And then when he grows up, his ministry is headquartered in the Capernaum, Galilee area. Only God could brilliantly orchestrate so many people and so many actions to accomplish all of his word, exactly like Jeremiah 1.12 said he would do. So next, we are finally ready to move into the exactness of the time, the right time, as we see more treasures of the nativity, enjoying biblical gems of Jesus' birth. God bless you today, and I pray that you can join us again for more episodes in this series as we present it to you and hope that it enhances your Christmas and brings to you the meaning of Christmas and the joy and beauty of Jesus' birth, our Messiah, our Savior. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.